All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, we have a new co-host slash guest uh, this week. We are joined by Jason Anderson of Black and Red United specifically. So you are based in Washington, D.C. You cover the spirit, but you also have done some U.S. specific stuff. Hello, Jason. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Uh, Thanks for having me. Uh, All of the things you said so far about me are true. Oh, good. <laughs> we're off to a good start. Off to a good start. So we're going to start with, we have a number, we have six games to talk about this week. Um, and it just seemed like the best thing to do was just to go chronologically. Basically um, we had the last game in the U S women's national team summer series that was played this last Wednesday, the U S played Nigeria. The other two teams didn't play uh, due to some weirdness with the UEFA window. I think Portugal was the team that was Mm -hmm. not cleared to play the third game. Um, But honestly, maybe that was the smart thing to do because this game was not great. (laughs) uh, As I recall, Uh, the U S did beat Nigeria two to nothing with goals from Kristen press and Lynn Williams, both of them coming in stoppage time presses Mm -hmm. came in first half stoppage time Williams in second half stoppage time. Um, we're probably not going to have a lot to say about this game in particular, because it definitely had the vibe of like, we're doing, we're clocking in and clocking out on this one mm-hmm. a little bit. I thought Nigeria did a nice job of getting stuck in. I think they played the, uh, the U S uh, very physically matched them, which is a great way to play the team. Um, lots of positives for Nigeria. Uh, but from a U.S. perspective, which we're just going to focus on here because we are about to have this Olympic roster, uh, drop this week hopefully not on monday we are recording this on sunday night um so jason because this is your first time on the podcast i'm just going to hit you with some questions that i've asked other people before but mm-hmm. want your perspective and we'll just start with a washington based one um first question is why do you think andy sullivan didn't get more looks in this series and do you agree with that choice uh, I think, well, especially from judging from what Vlatko said on the first pregame media session, um, where he mentioned Sullivan first, um, when the question of who would play, who who he wanted to look at in that that spot would be with Ertz unavailable for this set of too many games in one window. Um, and he mentioned Sullivan first, and then he moved on to Lindsey Horan, and then he brought up the prospect of even possibly... I think the way he put it was just possibly defenders. Um, what he ended up meaning down the road was Emily Sonnet. Um, is what not really surprising, but that's what it turned out to be. Um, but I think when he chose Haran for the first game, um, I think that was him kind of saying, like, I know I'm taking Haran. Um, so I want to be sure maybe maybe this is a good idea, maybe it's not. And then he seemed very pleased with how that went after that first game. Uh, he was very positive. Uh, and I assume after he watched the tape, because he he went with her in the second game, I assume he went back and watched the tape and was like, yes, what I thought after the game is correct. Uh, I liked what I saw. We can build on this. Um, and at that point, once he made that that second lineup and Sullivan wasn't in there, it became a like, well, you might have kind of made up your decision after that one game. Um, that might have kind of sealed it off for, for in Vlatko's mind. Um, I do, I see some similarities in how Horan has played that position to how Ertz plays it um, in the willingness to step out uh, of that deep pocket and win the ball more aggressively. Um, that Sullivan does do that, but it's not as frequent. It's not as much a core component of how she plays that role. 
Um, and, you know, her style of play matches the spirit style, which is more possession oriented. The U.S. always ends up with a lot of possession, but it's not like they set out to gain possession. Just they just end up with it. Um, whereas the spirit are very, very straightforward about how they would love to keep the ball. And so Sullivan fits that style a little more than she does the style that the U.S. ends up playing through. So I think that's what underpinned all of that. Uh, I I do kind of find myself wanting the team to maybe have that option to control the game because the, especially playing in Japan in the heat and humidity that the, that whole country is really known for in the summertime. Uh, I can speak from being from a different hot and humid place. It's nice to keep the ball. Um, when I was playing frequently, I liked right. playing on teams that kept the ball because we weren't dead in the 20th minute of a given game. And not that Haran can't keep the ball. It's not an either or with them, but I do think um, it would be awfully nice to have Sullivan as an option for some of these games to just sort of like really keep the tempo uh, in a way that the U S would benefit from over multiple games, maybe not in, you know, when the the top 11 are out there, she's probably not going to start the final, but in the games where they rotate because they will have to rotate um, it would be really nice for them to just play keep away for a while. And they can't really do that now. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that it's it's definitely as much about style because what we know about Vladko Andonovsky is that there are a lot of players who are not getting serious time with the U.S. that he thinks are great players. Yeah. And so it's really a lot about what fits the style that the U.S. wants to play. And it seems like when Ertz went down, they said, we're not going to change anything. We're not throwing mm-hmm. this style out the window. If Ertz can make it great, if not, we have the talent because the way the U.S. had been playing in this midfield, they do play in this 4-3-3. There was someone like Sam Mewis on the bench or Lindsey mm-hmm. Horan on the bench. And so for them, they say, well, we can just have a three of Mewis, Lavelle, and Horan starting, and that will be good enough. Um, I agree. I think that maybe part of it, too, is that the Olympics are anti-options. <laughs> it's yes. an 18-player roster for a grueling schedule. It's not really conducive to... It's it doesn't make sense in a way because the roster that you would need for the actual task is not what you're allowed to bring with you. So that I think is what is pushing Sullivan out. And I do think it's too bad because mm-hmm. she's a great player, but I agree that it's as much about the U.S.'s personality and kind of the consistency that they want to run with um, as, as they possibly can. Final question about this part of the midfield, the, the midfield as we know it, the starting midfield, let's say it's Haran, Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle are they giving so Lindsay Horan has had a very good 2021 so far Mm -hmm. are they giving up too much putting her in the six and maybe would it be better to swap that with Mewis sometimes uh I do I I wonder maybe in like a hypothetical ideal that that would be the case but in the reality of what's going on coming into this tournament um as much as the U.S. sometimes feel like feels like they're not hitting the absolute heights that they could and that maybe we might have expected, when you watch other international games, they're so much closer to the best of themselves than just about everyone else. Um, every other international match I've seen has been kind of disappointing. It's like, wow, this is really, this is it. Um, and I think a lot of the teams are really just showing a lack of continuity, a lack of uh, time together uh, all from 2020, just being demolished by COVID. Um, So, yeah, I I think 
it's not the perfect scenario. Um, and, and there could be something gained from sometimes switching them up, um, especially if, if for some reason in one of these games they're trailing, for example, I think maybe switching the two of those players specifically and having Mewis just sort of maybe hitting those longer balls and Haran chasing them down and get it, having that freedom to join the attack more might change things up. But, you know, Sam Mewis scored a ton of goals for Man City, so it's not like she's failing to get into the box and right. get into goal-scoring position. So, um <laughs> So yeah. ultimately this discussion is pointless because <laughs> a lot of, a lot of this stuff, you're all it, pretty good. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. we've run into this a lot with a lot of us positions. It's just right. like, there's so many things that I, I kind of want to argue, but right. I also, it'll probably work. All um, right. So, so let's move to the defense again. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep this Washington specific. Um, well, first, actually, here's my question, a bigger question that will inform the next one. Mm-hmm. If you're putting together your us roster, and this is something that I really don't know. And I've seen some people have some certain takes on it how many forwards do you take? Do you take five or do you take four? With, with this, I, I, I'm probably taking five okay. um, and taking the risk that I don't end up with an injured or fatigued midfielder or defender. Um, just because I, I, for the same reasons that coaches tend to always sub out forwards or attacking players more so than midfielders and much more so than defenders. It's just a forward has to be, has to have a certain level of energy. If they start to get tired, their performance drops more than a defender does. Um, so that's really all, all that would inform that. But there is the luxury of like, if you bring an extra defender, you can always be like crystal Dunn. I remember when you were so good at forward all right. the time, yeah. so I can put you up there. Yes. Okay. So then we're operating under the idea that there are going to be six defenders going. Yeah. Um, yeah. That seems reasonable. Right. So the big one, this is what I focused in on. I'll be honest. You know, this is just my perspective. There are other people who think that Tierna Davidson is more on the bubble than I do. I don't think she is. I think that she, because they are probably going to have to rotate Becky Sauerbrunn can't play every single game. Mm -hmm. I think they're taking three center backs. I think Tierna Davidson is going, if you want to argue a, a different point from that, I think that that's totally valid, but that's where I'm at with it. Um, meaning that it's really down to persons on it with the idea that both of them cannot go. Right. Who do you take? Uh, yeah, I do. I do agree that it'll be Davidson should be on the roster. Um, I, and, and not just should, but also I expect her right. to be on the roster um, both because they need a, that third center back and she can play left back really well. Um, right. So you get cover at two positions that are otherwise hard to cover. This is, of all, above all else, that versatility means so much. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that sets you up with, you know, I, I agree with the premise is what I'm getting at. Um, <laughs> Good place to start. Yeah, I, uh, this is a, a really tough one because on one hand, we saw Sonnet play some of the six as well. So Ertz's status might factor in. It might make this decision before we even get to the decision. Right. Um, if she fully can't go and they can't, they're like, it's not going to, she's not going to be healed up. We can't do it. Um, maybe that's on Vlatko's mind. Um, and that kind of shifts that because we've never seen Midge play a lot of positions, but we haven't seen her play the six. Right. Uh, she could figure it out. Um given given some time but maybe some time doesn't mean like a week training in japan and then having to go play right um i it's 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 a tough one because i think experience is going to mean a lot but i also think that at the moment um especially with the way the u.s plays purse does bring so much to the table with them going forward the fact that they're always front foot 
Um, whereas Sonnet does seem to still this season have that same kind of thing where she'll mostly play very well. And then there'll be like one moment in the game where she over elaborates on the ball or steps a little too aggressively and gets caught out and has to turn and chase all of a sudden. Um, so it's not to say that Purse hasn't made some mistakes along those lines, but I don't think they're happening as often. Um, and the fact that she can be so effective going forward uh, more so than Sonnet, that's Sonnet gets forward well, but she's more of a, she gets forward and then helps you keep possession. She's not beating someone and putting crosses in um, or getting to the end line and cutting the ball back, which I feel like Flatco would probably want to see more of that than just people hoofing crosses from the touchline. Um but yeah, Purse brings those things to the table in a way that Sonnet doesn't. Um, and she can play as another forward. If you have a, if you need this forward situation comes up a problem, you can always have her up there as well. So I think because of that aspect, I would lean towards Purse. I kind of expect it to be Sonnet though. If I'm, if I'm having yeah. to gauge what we're actually going to see, I think right. it's going to be Sonnet. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that uh, I'm with you 100%. I would like it to be Purse. I think it's probably going to be Sonnet. I don't think it's rare. You know, we do look at Casey Kruger in 2019, but it is rare to get that many minutes with the team and not be in the plans. And Sonnet plays a lot for the U.S. Yes, Um, we should. We should qualify that, though. She did pick up the injury. in. That's true. She got she got hit. She got the wind knocked out of her pretty badly. Right. It it looked like both her rib and her calf on the same play. Yeah, Um, that's true. Because they were stretching her leg out afterwards. Yeah, there there was like a calf massage thing. And there was also something going on up in the rib cage area um, that, you know, I will get I'll get to speak with Richie Burke later this week and find out. But by that point, the roster will have been announced. So yes, we'll so yeah, know. right. So we'll we'll get we'll get to that when we get to the end of USL. Good. All right. So two other things, two quick ones. Um, so running again, premise five midfielders. We've we've named uh, maybe what you think might happen if Ertz can't go. Maybe it's Sonnet for Ertz if there's no Ertz. Mm. Um, Christy Mewis versus Katarina Macario. Thoughts? Uh, this is because this is maybe the toughest one. Yeah. Um, because on one hand, Macario could end up becoming like legitimately like the best player in the world. Um, that is her ceiling. Um, and generally speaking, the U S has always on both sides of the program has historically been like, if we've got a young player who has that kind of potential, they tend to find a way to bring them to things. Um, it's usually like one, just one right. player. You, that there's gets usually that one player yeah. where they're yeah. like, we're, we're going to extend, like maybe you wouldn't have made the roster, but because you have so much potential, we're going to bring you along for the experience. Right. And, and your we'll Heather you in, O'Reilly's but... and your Mallory Pews and yeah. yeah. Um, but this, there's only 18 spots and the U S has to win this tournament in 2021. Right. Um, and right now when you watch Christy Mewis play for the national team versus Macario play for the same, with the same players, Mewis has been more effective. Um, and I think this is going to be, if this were a world cup, I, and it was, and it was a direct competition between the two of them. I think we might see him go with Macario because he'd be able to find someone else to sort of take care of the newest jobs, right. uh, for lack of a better way to put it, but because it's 18, you know, that Mewis is going to play if she, if, or Macario, whichever one gets taken, they're going to play. No, right. No one is getting stashed on this roster. Right. Um, so because of that, I think I would lean towards taking Mewis, and I think that's what Blacko's going to do. But I'm I'm not sure about that Hard one. I'm I'm less sure about that one than the rest of them. I think. Yeah, no, it's a tough one. It's a really tough one. All right. So final question. Again, we're running on this premise of if Midge Purse goes, it would be as a defender. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to introduce her into like her versus Lynn Williams because it doesn't matter. I think really, because it all hinges on Tobin Heath. Yeah. So you've got Tobin Heath really an unknown property at this point. They well, they know a lot more than we do. They've seen her in, in light training and stuff like yeah. that. She hasn't played since like the beginning of 2021. Heath or Williams. <laughs> there's this one's tough yeah Yeah, this one's tough because of the lack of information right um i think if we're seeing uh a tobin heath who's maybe at 85 percent fitness and 85 percent sharpness by the time the tournament starts it's probably going to be her um i i think my personal opinion has also been influenced by the fact that I, I I think in an ideal world, the U S would absolutely be playing Lynn Williams more because what she does in terms of pressing is something that no one else in the pool brings to the table. Right. Um, her ability to disrupt the other team is just at a higher level than the rest of the forwards. But I don't know that the U S is going to go to Japan and press everybody for 90 minutes right? Um, because of the weather, because of the, extremely demanding schedule and the tiny roster you can't just be like oh everyone's tired from pressing for 90 minutes so we'll just swap them all out you you just can't do it um so the fact that i don't think vlatko is going to go and press everyone really kind of it it lowers williams's stock through no fault of her own um and so it does seem like it does seem like the team during the summer series laid back a little bit off of some of the defensive identity that they had established when they were playing, you know, Sweden and, and the Netherlands mm-hmm. earlier at, at the turn of the year. I agree with that. Um, so do you think you, so you think it's probably going to be Heath then you think it might be Heath? Yeah, that's what I'm, I, I expect it to be Heath unless yeah. they, and if they observed her in training and they're like, she's just not going to be physically able to do the job. Right. Um, or, and play enough minutes to actually come along, then that changes it. But if that's, if that, if they look at her and they say, she'll be able to get through it. Um, I don't think they're expecting 100%, but if they say she can get through it, then they're going to take her. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, it just really depends on what you want, like you said. Uh, yeah, my one thing with Lynn Williams is, is you know, I've, I've written about this a little bit in other places, and I've, I've heard people accuse Lynn Williams of being inconsistent. And that is actually one thing that I want to refute here. Mm-hmm. She's not inconsistent. The word you're looking for is limited. <laughs> She's not yes. inconsistent. There's nothing inconsistent about what she brings to the team. It's just there's a part of her game that is not as sharp as but also it's it's deceptive the way that she plays her Mm -hmm. numbers are always better than the eyeball test with her so um i am a lynn williams fan i'm not gonna lie Mm -hmm. i think that she brings a lot but i i agree that it's probably going to be heath and with so little that we know and you know the trust that you place in the coaching staff i think that you can't really argue against that either yeah so but yeah i think those are the decisions really and i think that everything else is probably going to be pretty expected. We're going to get a surprise either way on what they decide about Ertz. Mm. Um, It'll be a shock to the system if they say she can't go. I think that that is something that people are not operating under the assumption that that will be the case, but um, we don't know, but we will find out when everybody else does. And uh, we will talk about that next week when it does finally (laughs) drop. The speculation will be over. It will be roster time. So let's switch over to the NWSL because we did have a full slate of NWSL games this week. And we're going to talk about Saturday in this segment. And then we're going to talk about Sunday in the next segment. So 
I'm going to turn the floor over to Jason to talk about North Carolina versus OL rain. Cause this one, I didn't see as much of, um, I do know obviously that North Carolina won it two to one off of goals from Jessica McDonald and Sam Mewis. And then Jess Fishlock got a real wicked consolation goal mm-hmm. later in the game. She had a really nice chip. Um, so OL rain parts of the super team are there, not mm-hmm. all of them. But what I don't know, and this is what I have to ask you, Jason, is did they look like a team that was still putting things together or did they look like it was a little bit more worrisome than that? Uh, they look to me like they're still pretty, pretty early in even figuring out what this is supposed to actually look like. Um, I a joke tweet um, to uh, I, I sent to Meg Linehan uh, at some point in the last month uh, that I can't even remember when anything happened anymore, but um, it was just a lineup builder graphic showing all of the reigns future stars that haven't arrived yet. And everyone put in the position they would actually be best at. And it doesn't make any sense because you can't fit the parts together where everyone gets to play a role that works for them. Um, And so that's kind of the situation they're in right now. And, and, you know, Marjan played or trained what, four or five times maximum um buhati is running you know trying to organize a new back four i don't think that back four had ever played together uh at least at the start of a game that i can recall yeah um so she's trying to organize them they're all new to her um you know i i i feel like they look very much like a team that was like well let's give this a try and see what happens and if there's ever a place to not do that um it would be away to North Carolina, the team that knows exactly what they are going to be doing. And everyone knows exactly what their job is in this system. Um, and that's how a lot of the game played out. I know the, the scoreline said 2-1. And even the stats, if you just look at the stats, you'd say, ah, this doesn't look like that much of a dominant courage performance. But for most of the game, it felt like there was one team in the game that knew exactly what they were about. And one team that was like, okay, your name is Jennifer, right? Okay. Well, um, it's it's so funny too because I do think that a, a conversation that we need to have and this isn't even necessarily like a dig or a negative, but when you put a roster like this together, mm-hmm. the question for OL Rain is does Farid Benstidi get it? And there that means two different things. Thing number mm-hmm. 1 is does he understand the team that he's compiled? And thing number 2 is like it's still like does he get the NWSL? Like does he fully understand like what this is because Mm -hmm. maybe it's indicative of this North Carolina approach that, that, that they are very much like hashtag TTP trust the process on their own journey, but Mm -hmm. they're playing other teams and the NWSL is famous for, for not giving people a lot of room to work things out. Um, So tactically, and this is again, first time on the podcast, you can bring whatever wealth of, uh, history to this that you that you would like um from what you've seen from Ben Steedy when he lines his teams up I'll say that he has a whole lot of talent and sometimes it just seems a little bit conservative yeah um do you think that that will eventually turn into such quality on the ball that they will be difficult to beat anyway or is this the wrong approach do you think I think to a certain extent it is it is the wrong approach um I think this is a team that is they often want to be too narrow. Um, they don't get a lot of width anywhere, especially right now with, um, you know, Lauren Barnes is having to, I don't know if it's having to fill in at left back or has just been 
told she's a left back now. I can't really figure it out because, you know, how they played last year, a lot of these roles were switched. Madison Hammond broke into the team as a left back while Barnes was playing center back. And now Hammond and, and her have switched. Hammond didn't even play uh, in this game. She wasn't a starter. Um, so, yeah, uh, it is hard to read how this how this is supposed to work because it's very compact and it can be hard to play against because they set themselves up in such a, a tight space of the field. So that part of it is fine. Um, but I don't know how they open games up. How do they then attack the other team? Um, and that's kind of the ongoing thing. I feel like every time I watch them is, is where's the width going to come from? Um, especially if Megan Rapino isn't out there stretching the, the field on one side. Um uh, Thelio was out there uh, at right back, and that does add some, some to some degree, uh, some width on the right side. But you know, Sofia Huerta tends to tuck in a little bit. Um, they had two very the midfield. I think maybe more than anything, the midfield choice uh, playing both uh, McNabb and Weatherholt uh, alongside each other. That's maybe where they were the most conservative. It's because, very defensive minded. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and you can't open games. They, those two are, they're very similar in the way they go about playing midfield. Um, and it seemed like there was also a lack of clarity uh, for them in terms of which one of us is the eight, which one of us is the six. And so a lot of times they were neither. Um, and so it weirdly North Carolina, you think when you look at this on paper, you say, okay, I get it playing two very, very defensive minded holding midfielders against a team that plays two number tens. I get it. They'll be in the same, you're, you're occupying that space, but North Carolina kept finding space between those fielders and the back line. Um, And it's because there was that inability to figure out how to balance it. There was a little bit of, I don't want to say they were shell shocked, but it did seem kind of like the intensity with which North Carolina was able to play in typical June, North Carolina weather for the rain coming from a place that does not experience that kind of thing. They seemed a little like, what is like, whoa, 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 hold on. Right. A right. It, a feeling of they walk into this, they think this is going to work. And right. then they get into the game and they're like, Oh no, this is not working. Yeah. Um, I do think for the rain, probably ultimately they're going to have him and a Lopez as one of right. their OBs. You would think it would be him and a Lopez, Alana cook, Lou Barnes and Thelia. That's your back line. You can pile it how you can pile it. Um, yeah. You would think probably, I mean, but I don't know for sure. You would think your midfield would end up being Shirley Cruz, a, a mixture of Quinn, Shirley Cruz, Jess Fishlock, uh, Jennifer Marojan, like figuring out that group that works for you best. And then up top, right? We don't know from now until after the Olympics how available Megan Rapinoe is going to be. Right. We don't We don't know who's fitting into those pieces. Obviously, Eugenie Le Samer is coming. Um, so still a work in progress, but this as sort of a preliminary run out was not super inspiring, I guess. Um, and then for North Carolina, right. North Carolina is a little bit odd to me this year mm. because some games, they look like they have not missed a beat. Like they are the exact same North Carolina team that we've seen in past years. Um, and it definitely felt like they came back to form after that very frustrating loss uh, in Chicago two weeks ago. Mm. But it's like good, great. And then only okay. And then great. And then only right. okay. Again, are, are they going to have the consistency? Do you think, or do you think it's still just still figuring out what the identity is getting back to that? And it's hard to maintain that week in, week out. 
you know, I think some of it is that they they're used to being able. I mean, their their team before they got kind of broken up, so to speak, um, was just so full of talent throughout, from front to back, right up the middle, um, that they could go out and they're like 65, 70% of their best still looked extremely good. Um, but now that you take Crystal Dunaway, Abby Dahlkemper's gone, it, Sam Ewis is back, but they've played her further forward. Um, so that's a different aspect to the box midfield that, that wasn't there in the past. It does look like they are still, I don't want to say figuring it out, but definitely trying to make, to bring the best of themselves to the table consistently. Some days it, they show up and it just feels like it's not quite there. Um, and they haven't figured in the past, North Carolina was really good at like maybe the first 15 minutes, it wasn't there. And they would just sort of will themselves into having it uh, or something similar to it. And right now that ability to will the thing into being, it's not quite there on their bad days on their good days. It's like, yeah, that's the courage. They're doing exactly what you would expect, but there are days where they look like, they're trying to do it and it's just not happening. And they're like, why isn't this working? Um, yeah, no, I agree. They, it, they're it, curious about it too. Right, exactly. I mean, I think ultimately, right, you you go back and maybe this is a good framing just to look at the North Carolina teens of 2018 and 2019. And you've got Denise O'Sullivan, Crystal Dunn, Dabinia, and Sam Mewis in that midfield. And you're just like, well, dang. Yeah. I'm glad we enjoyed it while it was there <laughs> uh, because it doesn't exist anymore. Or yeah. you look at the the outside back play. And those are players like Carson Pickett and Merritt Mathias. They are players who on their day are doing the exact same stuff that those North Carolina OBs of the past would be able to do. But you're right that it's just not every single game, which mm -hmm. is fine. It's a regular season, right? You don't have to be perfect every game, but if they want to compete, I, I think North Carolina is going to be in the postseason. No oh, doubt yeah. in my mind yeah. about that. If they want to compete for the shield though, it's going right. to have to start becoming a different process. Very good win for them, though. Um, mm -hmm. So now we're going to switch over to this is funny because this is uh, the game that you and I probably know the most intimately because these are the two teams that you and I cover every day. Mm -hmm. Worst game of the weekend. So yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how much we have to talk about it. Uh, Chicago hosted Washington. Uh, they played to a 1-1 draw off of a goal, a very nice goal by Trinity Rodman and a very late penalty kick. Mm -hmm. uh, by Morgan Gatra, which means that we got about 85 minutes of nothing and then about seven minutes of a whole lot. Um, all right. So first question, do you think this game was competitive because both teams are playing equally well or equally poorly? Or do you just think that well, I guess maybe maybe my question is, do you think one team actually played better in this game? Not particularly. Um, right. Yeah, yeah I, I think both teams just didn't quite have it on the yeah. day. Um, they had some of what they do, but they didn't have everything. And it kind of it kind of showed the spirit were frazzled a little bit when Chicago did a good job of pressing and disrupting the right. spirit. I think that if I had to say either team did anything at a high, a super high level, I would say that. Chicago's ability to make sure the spirit didn't settle into a consistent rhythm was quite good. Um, and from there, I think once, once the spirit can't settle into their rhythm, then they can kind of be kind of like this pretty consistently. Um, but I will say that this, the spirit didn't let that completely make them fall apart or anything. Um, 
they've learned this is something they didn't have in 2019 um there were plenty of games in 2019 where if they didn't have that rhythm if they didn't get into it early the game kind of got away from them this is how if you look at their results uh, if you go to their 2019 season wikipedia page and you see the color-coded results you see a long time where there's no wins and it's just that they had trouble getting into the rhythm for like i think it's like eight or nine games in a row um, and that's why they didn't make the playoffs. They started really well and then they fell off for just too long. And then they tried to come back at the end and they ran out of time. Um, this version of the spirit, three games in a row on the road, um, in, in Tacoma, in Houston or in Houston, in Tacoma, and now in Chicago, um, something went wrong at some point in all of those games. They had a really Richie Burke told me in sometime in April, um, about, the DC United changed their field dimensions at Audi field. And so the spirit had to play on a slightly shorter uh, playing surface. And he was like, well, shorter is not so bad. It's the width that, that we need. We want the widest field we possibly can. Uh, and a narrow field really kills us. And as soon as he said that, I was like, they gotta, they have to go to Tacoma at some point and play uh, at Cheney. And they went to that field and they made it work. Um, they found a way, they found a way while down to 10 in Houston, da- not just down to 10, but without Andy Sullivan. Right. And in this game, they're playing Chicago, getting disrupted, not able to settle into their normal rhythm, their normal style of play, having a bunch of different injuries and knocks. Um, I, I feel like they played about 10, 10 minutes in this game down a player. Yeah. Just- players being treated on the sideline and the funny thing is it didn't really feel like bodies were flying it was just weird stuff yeah yeah Yeah. it was it was one of those like mildly cursed games where just like a normal collision that players go through all the time suddenly ends up there right at the end of the game ella stevens subs in stoppage time substitution uh, and the first thing she gets involved in is there's a goal kick, her and Natalie Jacobs challenge for it. And somehow Stevens gets like spun around and her arm hits Jacobs in the mouth. And it's like, that's how this game is going to go. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, um, the, the spirit gutting that out, gutting that difficulty out is a sure. new thing for them. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important, even though they didn't play very well, that they are still against, these are all teams that think that they're going to be in the playoffs and they are coming away from these road games with something. So that's, yeah a new level of mental toughness and resolve, I think. Totally. And I mean, I know for me, like I was, I was at this game and I can't pretend like it looked a lot better in person, but Mm -hmm. on that goal that Washington scored, you had a lot of this game being played out in the midfield. The midfield was very clogged. No one was really getting a lot of separation. Both defenses individually were doing a nice job of getting in the way. Kudos to Andy Sullivan though, you know, Mm -hmm. because she there were a couple there were a couple of they were like okay so what we want to do isn't working so let's open this up by sending some long balls through and washington gets in once with ashley sanchez and nayer mm-hmm. saves it they get in a second time with trinity rodman and nayer does not and i think that that like even just when you even in the worst of soccer games watching a team problem solve like that in real time is impressive it it is the way that Mm -hmm. you get points in this league week in and week out um and so i was very impressed by that um can i i just want to add that one of the one aspect of the adjustment that i thought was really interesting was that um one of the things they started doing more and more as the game went on is while they built out it wasn't you know you normally think of a defensive midfielder dropping between center backs andy sullivan was dropping to the right of the center backs pretty frequently um, and then when Sonnet went out, she actually was playing center back. Um, that's how they adjusted that. Jacobs was playing midfield. Sullivan was playing right center back. But that's the area of the field that she struck that ball for Rodman. So she kind of 
got to look at how how to size that long ball up from that area of the field several times during the course of the game. It just, you know, it added up in the end. And she hit one that was just right that I, I think Sarah Gordon, if she's an inch taller, gets ahead too. But that's why you hit the ball like that is that right. a player thinks they can get there and they jump as high as they can and they just barely come up short. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I think that was that is that problem solving kind of summed up that they just – they said, okay, the middle's no good. Where can we find a pocket for, for Andy to actually, you know, do her thing? And I don't know if that was her making that adjustment on the field on her own or if that came from the bench, but whoever thought of it, it, it ended up being a pretty good idea. Yeah, agreed. I totally agreed. Um, and then, yeah, from Chicago's perspective, they are a funny team in that they are absolutely obviously figuring their style out, and that style mm-hmm. is very disruptive, very defensively minded. Their first order of business is to mess the other team up and then mm-hmm. see what they can create on their own um, end in terms of that. Again, you look at the XG, Chicago is theoretically creating more of that than the other team. Um, but when you have a game like this one, sometimes that turns into that really great win against North Carolina. And then sometimes it kind of turns into anti-soccer. And that was just sort of what we saw against Washington, where you can look at it and say, that's a bad team. That's not true. They're actually operating the way they want to, but it's that X, that last 25% of actually turning that into a final product that Mm -hmm. is still really just not quite there for them. Their front line really wasn't on the same page for a lot of the game. Um, and that ended up really being the difference for them in the context of not being able to score a goal in the run of play. Um, but they do, they do get, uh, there was a handball called on Sam Staub mm-hmm. very, very late in the match. Um, I did not, I was there. I did not see the replay. I think it was valid, right? It was. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, on the replay, you can see it does, it does strike her hand. I think she, cause it also hits her, her in the ribs. Mm. And I think in the, the heat of the moment, she felt the ribs, but it, it does change direction after striking her hands. So, um, you know, unlucky for, for her, but also, yeah, just you know, it's one of those where like, there's no, there's no way not to call it. Right. Um, exactly. And again, in a weird game like that, of course this happens. It was the first yes. time Chicago had a penalty in a game since like early 2019. This is not something that happens to this team often. So right. I think everybody's hearts were probably in their throats when Gatra took that one, but she did sink it. And mm-hmm. so Chicago also, again, you talk about sort of grinding out a point. They didn't play at their best and they still got a point out of that. And we are starting to see the narratives of the teams who have played six, six games so far. That's a quarter of the season. We are mm-hmm. getting into like the larger term conversation. And if you have a team like Washington, I'm sure again, it's like North Carolina. I'm sure Washington would say that they're gunning for the shield. Everyone is right. But at the end of the day, you have to be getting these points to mm-hmm. be comfortable by the end of the season. And so I think both teams have to feel pretty good about that while also understanding that they have a lot of work to do to, to actually sort of execute the things that they want to be doing, which I think is interesting. Um, just how much like survival mode. And we'll talk about this in the next segment when we get to Houston or, or Kansas city or Orlando versus Gotham, but maybe it's indicative of just how competitive things are that you're seeing a lot of like survive in advance already Hello, yeah. from a lot of these teams. Yeah. Um, So we'll see. But anyway, so that was Saturday and we have definitely talked quite enough in this segment. So we're going to take a little bit of a break and we will be back with Sunday's NWSL games. 
All right. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, I am joined by Jason Anderson. And before we move on to Sunday's NWSL games, I'm going to do the thing that I do every week. I'm going to ask you to rate and review this podcast. Give us a five-star review. Uh, say the nicest things about us. And actually, we have a little bit of a giveaway to go along with our rate and review pitch this week. So we are going to be giving away a pack of the Parkside NWSL playing cards that have been uh, distributed to Target. Uh, our, our fearless leader, Jeff Kasuf has quite a couple, and he is going to give away to people who give us a five-star review and a rating and get, take a screen grab of that review and then tweet it at us. Tweet it at the Equalizer at Equalizer Soccer. And we will pick a winner next week. And you might be able to get some sweet Parkside NWSL playing cards. So give us a rating and a review. So moving on to Sunday's games, we had three games on Sunday, all of which, uh, again, not really goal fests this week. Kind of makes sense coming off an international break. Lots of teams still kind of like getting back in the swing of things. The first game of the day was Louisville, racing Louisville, rossing Louisville, hosting the Houston mm-hmm. Dash. Uh, Louisville won. They they gutted it out. They won this one. They won this one, one to nothing, with a goal. First minute of her mm-hmm. NWSL career, Ebony Salmon takes it home. So. I know, Jason, you didn't get to see a ton of this game, and I'll admit that I was double screening it for, for a while, watched the whole first half on its own, had to double screen it for Portland versus Kansas City. But um, Houston, Houston Dash, I have to admit, I don't think they are playing worse than the Chicago Red Stars or even arguably sometimes the Washington Spirit. They are really struggling to get some momentum though. And right now they're playing without Rachel Daly. And Mm -hmm. you would think probably soon, whether even on the alternate list or making the roster, they know they're going without the Alicia Chapman's going to be gone. Sophie Schmidt's going to be gone. Michelle Prince is going to be gone. Probably Christy Mewis and probably Jane Campbell. Mm -hmm. Are they in danger at this point? If you look at the next, maybe six games of their season of really falling off the pace, do you think? Uh I would have, if I, if I were uh, James Clarkson or someone else in the Houston organization, I would be a little, not necessarily worried or alarmed, but I would be like, you know, this was kind of our opportunity to bank some points. And, you know, they, I know that when the spirit beat them while down, down a player that uh, I think Clarkson said it was, you know, one of the most heartbreaking losses that they'd had since he'd been at the club. Um, because of, I think it wasn't just the nature of that game, um, but also it was an important game for them. Um, they It was one that they needed. And, you know, you look at the results since then, they did get that win over Chicago, but, you know, they they only beat Kansas City one nothing, which a lot of teams are beating Kansas City only one nothing. but also you kind of want to be able to do better than that if you're the Dash. And it was um, like a late set piece goal. It wasn't right. really happening in the run of play for them. Right. It, it, was, a, it was a game where they never really never really felt like we were seeing the best of Houston uh, in that game. And then today, um, you know, against Louisville, you would expect them to win that game. Um, If they're a playoff team, no disrespect to Louisville, but right now the way that that team is playing the playoff teams in the league, the ones that say that can look themselves in the mirror and say like, we are going to make the playoffs. I believe this, they should be beating them. Um, 
and it, it didn't happen. It was a great piece of skill uh, that, that took Houston down, but also they got shut out. Um, and it wasn't like uh, I didn't see a lot of like, wow, Houston's had a billion chances in this game. Um, I did see a lot of praise for Michelle Betos, um, but it wasn't I didn't see a bunch of like highlights. It was more like Betos's positioning. She makes the, she makes another good save, but because it's, she's in the right spot. Um, so yeah. I do wonder what's going on with with the dash and, and whether this window where they're going to be without so many starters, they haven't, it's not like they cycle through a lot of players. Um, this is a team that doesn't go very deep on their bench. Most of the time um, we see 14, 15 players of the dash all the time. And, and I'll, I'll also throw in uh, Maria Sanchez has what, how many games left in her loan before that's becomes a decision or concludes? theoretically, Actually, let me, you, you finish your thought on, mm-hmm. on, on this and I will sure. confirm how many if it's one or two. Um, so yeah, the, the, this was a big window for the dash early in the season. And I don't know what they do. Not so much even that the players coming in are not uh, NWSL caliber or anything like that, but I worry they're losing a lot of their personality. Um, and they're a team that seems driven by that, you know, Rachel Daly's, intensity in games is kind of a thing that drags them through a lot her and Shay groom they bring so much to the table from that front that it kind of brings houston to a higher level just through sheer desire to win um and when you take one of them away that's that's a big a big thing that they don't really have someone that can fill in i don't know that there's someone in the roster that maybe isn't as good as rachel daly but can at least bring that level of intensity and and that that charisma because sometimes a player can be very intense and their teammates don't necessarily respond to it but with daily the team the team responds right and yeah where does that response come from now i i don't know uh yeah. I, I would hope for their sake that they they know internally but i don't know uh from the outside right yeah so they they only have one more game theoretically okay. with with maria sanchez they, they don't i couldn't tell i couldn't remember if they played midweek this week or not and they don't so they just have one more mm-hmm. which is next weekend um yeah it, so watching the game Again, I, I did think actually Maria Sanchez had a good game. I think that her as an option versus Brie Vasali is a very strong one. I know they would like to keep her. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's going to happen. Um, Christy Mewis played pretty well. I just think we even saw in the Challenge Cup when Rachel Daly was out for the international break that they really, again, like you said, struggled to match that energy that she brings. Um, I know that, and I think you're right as well that it's there are pockets of it you know Alicia Chapman mm-hmm. brings a lot of intensity um and and so does Sophie Schmidt and Shay Groom and but you it's like you have to have a mixture of that and quality mm-hmm. and but but the funny thing is that like I said I don't think Houston is playing that poorly but it is just like maybe you watch that team and you think is the belief there do they do are are they coming in with the we're the 2020 Challenge Cup winners and we expect to compete with everybody or do they lose that game against Washington and start to think about right. kind of the trajectory of the season maybe if some of those results where they did play pretty well earlier in the season go a different way there might be some more momentum that goes there and it's actually really interesting too cuz they did win that good game against Chicago yeah. and then they won that game against Kansas City and you think okay Houston is building they're coming up against racing Louisville this is their chance they were saying this is this would have been it would have been the first time that Houston had had a three game winning streak since 2014 <laughs> and they couldn't do it 
just yeah. couldn't quite pull it off. And so you do wonder a little bit um, on Louisville's side. So Louisville's gotten thumped a couple of times this year, yeah. uh, as expected, right? By, by just some teams that were hitting on that day. Uh, but they have to like, they have to like that they are a team that has obvious gaps, but what's happening around those gaps is very exciting, right? Mm-hmm. So for Louisville, you know, I don't know if we're talking about them as a playoff contender, probably Mm -hmm. not still. Uh, I just think there are too many other teams that are more well-rounded, but it's amazing to have, you know, a transfer like Ebony Salvin come in and immediately make an impact. Mm -hmm. Um, They had Gemma Bonner playing, which I think worked quite well for them in the way that they did a lot of very good individual defending in that game. Um, They have big distribution issues. I've said on this podcast before that Lauren Millay is not a six. They have not really addressed that. Um, So I think in the way that all positives this year for them are like big positives, they have to feel great about this and they've won two games out of six. Mm -hmm. And and that's really impressive. I think their wins are over Houston and the spirit. Yeah. Um, So they're, they're winning over the kind of teams we keep talking about teams that expect to be in the playoffs. They're win. They've gotten two wins over those kind of teams. Yeah. Um, They've established that at home, at least that they are able to find, you know, maybe not every single game, but often are able to find a higher level. Um, You know, they're, they're still, their midfield uh, definitely in terms of defending through the midfield and building play to get up to, you know, Savannah McCaskill keeps having to drop so far deep to bring the ball. Yes, forward. There were, there were moments where she was like in front of her own goal line yeah. in this game. Yeah. And that's, that's never a good sign when your 10 is that far back because otherwise you just can't get the ball further forward. Um, I do kind of wonder some of the time whether they would not be better off Um I mean, there's, there's still need to make some moves to make it work um, because some of some of their problem is simply like if you're saying, OK, the, the defensive midfield has had some struggles. Who else do you look to? They just there isn't that many players that play those roles on that right. entire roster. Right. Um, but if they were to go in that direction, I think they'd have something viable where um, maybe you get away from four, two, three, one and you get into a diamond. Um, and McCaskill stays where she is and you, you, Nagasato's role doesn't really change either. You say you're a, you're now you're a second forward instead of this, you know, you're the left winger, but not really. Um, and you go from there, they might be a little harder to break down with just adding one more player in that center area. But right now they can't really do that. Um, right. So they're kind of, I, I can't really be too harsh on Christy Holly because he is playing the two players that right. Uh, Taylor Otto's injured. So he's playing his two defensive midfielders. They just, right. yeah. after right. that, they're like, after that, you're like, I don't know who else I'd be experimenting no matter right. who you I know, turn to. The, and, you know, I guess you can equally like commend him and blame him for that. Right. Cause this is the roster that he built. Sure. But um, sure. so yeah, the, my only other two thoughts are thought number one, which is just larger, which is, I think they have a lot to be excited about. I think they should keep riding whatever it is that they're doing this year. Um, it's the next step that's a lot harder in this league and we'll mm-hmm. see how that goes, but they have to feel great about this particular week. Seems like the vibes are very good. Okay. But here's one other question that I have, and I don't really know the answer to this. So I know that us women's national team, uh, thing like, uh, the, the look towards the us women's national team is always a part of these conversations. When you have a player, um, of a high caliber, it is clear that Emily Fox is the cornerstone of this team. Mm-hmm. 
can she effectively control a game from an outside back position? And do you maybe think, should we be taking her and moving her into the midfield where at the very least she has a little bit more room to move and can control play from a more central position? Or do you say she's a really good outside back? Those are hard to come by. We're going to let her keep doing her thing on the outside. Well, I, I think back to that spirit game and covered so much ground that she was playing left back and also essentially like a third central midfield role anyway. Right. Right. Um, So in terms of her ability to, to do that, I think it's, it's possible that it could work. Um, The fact that she's got so much of a well-rounded skill set, you know, she's not just good as a fullback because she can defend well and run fast or pass or her first touch. She has all of those things. Um, So I think in theory, if you've got all of the skills, more or less, maybe I don't know how good of a finisher she is, but um, we haven't had to test that one out yet. But if you've got just about all the skills that a player might have in soccer, then you probably can learn how to play defensive midfield fairly quickly. Um, But on the other hand, uh, how many, you know, how many rookies come in and are immediately not just on team of the month, uh, as a left back, but also like you look around and you say like, this could happen more than once this year. She could be player of the, uh, yeah. team of the month a couple times. And if you make a few team of the months, you're in the clearly in the running for team of the season. Right. Um, but she's been that good. Um, and on a team that has had its struggles and she's still looked that good. So uh, I would be hesitant to move her away, but also does that team need to find some kind of solution in central midfield? Right. Maybe uh, it's like yeah. a one game, a one game right. solution where you're like, I'm not sure if we can win this, if we do this, but maybe mm-hmm. we can win it if we do this. And then you just try it once. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to a game that maybe people thought could turn into another blowout. It did not. Um, Portland hosted Kansas city, uh, Kansas city, they're doing their best still looking for their first win Mm -hmm. they did lose this one one to nothing on a goal from Simone Charlie uh for Portland I do think that this was significant for them in that we know how important the fans are to this team Mm -hmm. and and I don't think they hit this for a number of reasons you know reluctance or weather or just getting back into the swing of the schedule but they did have possible 80% capacity today with the idea that they are hitting vaccination rates to make that a safe thing to do. Mm -hmm. And there was a feeling of celebration there. I think even outside of the result, which is that I know that Portland feels very strongly that they are not themselves without their fans. Right. And so I, I was happy to see, you know, I, even on Twitter, just people that I know personally going out to their first game of the year and, and having a great time. And that was awesome to see. And it's great to see throughout this, throughout the league, again, can't recommend getting vaccinated enough. It makes mm-hmm. it possible for these things to happen. Um, the game itself, it was only okay. Right. You know, Portland yeah. really dominated, but they couldn't quite finish. Um, they had a couple different looks. They had uh, Crystal Dunn pushing pretty far forward, probably the most forward leaning she's been all year, paired with Simone Charlie. Um, Abby Smith had a very Abby Smith sort of a game where she had a mm. couple really brilliant saves and maybe was a part of that goal being actually scored. It's like you save one, but you give one up. And it's, so yeah. which one matters more, the one that you saved or the one that you give up? Um, 
I don't know, Jason, any major thoughts on this one? Portland had like a 3.5 XG. They only scored one goal. The thing is, is I think that you can say that's not great, right? And that's probably why they've lost two games so far. But if they keep dominating, the goals are going to come, right? Yeah, I mean, how often are you going to see a team get a penalty kick and not convert? Like generally speaking, 75 to 80% of penalty kicks go in. Um, So yeah, Christine Sinclair didn't put this one away. The next time Portland gets a penalty, most likely it's going to be a goal. Uh, and if they get that goal at that stage in the game, uh, this game probably gets put to put away earlier. It right. doesn't end up hanging. Not that Kansas City created a lot, but as long as they're only down one, they're always in the game. Right. Um, and so Portland didn't really put them away in the manner they should. I'm sure it's um, going to be a major point of emphasis for Mark Parsons this week is how do we make sure that we don't let a team hang around like this because it's it's going to come back and haunt them. Uh, it it already, already has. has. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think they've got to be frustrated with that a little bit and, and frustrated with the fact that you know, their goal does end up coming from uh, a mix of one. One thing I'm very curious about is how much time has Crystal Dunn had to practice that, that long ball um, because the, the spin on that, doesn't it, if it you do that on grass the ball doesn't bounce up the way it did it was it was like she it was like tennis it was like yeah. she was doing a drop shot where the ball had this backspin mm-hmm. and therefore it did this real freaky bounce right yes. when it hit the ground which, which you know the the initial trajectory of it um kansas city playing that high line um because as much as kansas city has struggled they have been trying to press teams um, so they play their higher line. So Abby Smith to stay attached to the back line has to be up high. So when Dunn plays that ball over the top, she says, okay, I see the ball coming in. I'm going to start to make my move towards it. I think she made a mistake in here in that. I don't think her angle to the ball was ideal. And I also don't know that she necessarily got a good judge on that. There was major backspin. Um, and so instead of seeing, okay, this ball might check up. She instead was like, you know what, this ball is going to come, is going to carry through. I think I got a handle on this thing. And on turf, this is that that weird turf bounce that you get sometimes with a ball. Sometimes the ball checks up when a player wants to run onto it. And instead of running after it, it hits them in the chest and they're you know discombobulated and it ruins everything. In this case, it's exactly what Simone Charlie needed uh, so that she wasn't ending up in a collision with Smith outside the box. And, you know, another because this isn't one mistake from Smith, but rather it's a few different mistakes. Right. Um, because there's a certain moment in this where she, when the ball hits and starts to come up towards Charlie, she had to kind of give up on making a play on the ball and just accept that her only play in that moment was to just sort of like shove Charlie down or try and use her hands somehow and take the red card. Um, and instead she tried to make an honest play on the ball. And that's why she lost out because she tried, she tried something that wasn't going to work. Um, And she had the option of doing something that was, you know, cynical, but a distant free kick keeps them at zero, zero. Um, And and in that moment, she needed to think like, I've misjudged this. The only option I have is to commit the foul. Um, And and unfortunately for her, very fortunately for Portland, she made the misread. And and from there, Charlie did the job, um, didn't didn't make any mess of getting away from her and just putting it into an empty net. Right. Um, So that's frustrating for Portland that they couldn't create a goal that. Uh, came via their own uh, excellence. It did right. come from one moment of excellence from one player, but also it required uh, some mistakes. And I think Portland would like to be the kind of team that 
if you come to Portland and play your best, they're still going to beat you. And this wasn't that. And this is still kind of my thing with Portland in that they're still like tweaking the midfield. Mm-hmm. They're, they're tweaking exactly where Crystal Dunn goes. They're trying to figure out the best forward line. Cause obviously they have Sophia Smith. They have Simone Charlie, they have Morgan Weaver. They have Tyler Lucy. They're like figuring out what the best combos are. And sometimes you just do have these games where again, still excellent performance, but Portland at their best are like, bam, 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 Mm -hmm. shot goal. And we're not seeing that quite as much yet. And so it's actually just fascinating how we're coming off of this sort of off year 2020. And so many of these teams are like, who are we? What are we doing? Do I know you? (laughs) You know, and like still, still in, uh, in the sixth, sixth match day. Um, But yeah, Portland gets the win. Um, Very nice homecoming for them. Um, I think they are seriously in contention of walking. You know, they are really competing for the shield. Uh, Kansas city is playing better than their results. They are not playing like a winless team. It's just, which day is it going to be? And they just haven't, they haven't found that day yet. Uh, All right. So moving on to the last game of the week. Oh, I don't have any other Kansas city thoughts. Uh, My, my only thing was I I pulled up the schedule really quickly just to, to get a handle on, what Kansas city is looking at lately. Cause I know they're the spirits next opponent, but they play midweek. But what else jumped out at me was just that it's now four games in a row without a goal for them. Yeah. Uh, and they've been shut out five times out of six in the regular season. Yeah. Um, and that's really, you know, maybe Jessica Silva changes that right. um, or at least helps them because a lot of times they, they do look like they're lacking chance creators and they're lacking someone that can beat anyone else on the dribble or it's like good it's like good chance creators too because you even look at they had a little bit of a flurry at the end of this one and they were Mm -hmm. active they were working very hard they were moving the ball they were really pushing but it was without that sort of clinical idea and we said this at the during the challenge cup and for a while amy rodriguez was able to do a lot on her own mm. but that's not how you can manage a regular season you can't right. have a player doing that so tournaments are for players carrying your team exactly um, and and right now the game the game looks very difficult for kansas city everything that they do even when they're playing really well it just looks hard um and the better teams in the league have games where they don't they make it look easy for themselves and it seems like for Kansas City, every second of every game is at just the maximum hard setting. And if they could just add a little more, add some players that have a different dimension, not just Silva. I think that will add a different dimension, but um, a couple more are probably needed for them to start making things a little easier on themselves because they fight. You know, that they're obviously, they haven't lost morale. They don't look like a team that is beaten down by this tough run uh, just yet. but if this keeps happening, there's no, at a certain point, there is no way to, to escape um, being beaten down. If you keep having shutout losses, we have you, seen how you, this can happen. I, right. I, I have some, some solid yes, experience. You have with, seen very closely how uh, this can in, happen in yeah. to a team that is not that bad. Right. Yeah. You're right. Um, yes. Uh, right. So yeah, we're alluding to the 2018 Washington spirit. God bless them. Um, yeah. What it's it's tough once you get momentum is a huge thing in this league. And if it too many times you see these games play out, and I think you're right. I think that Kansas City has a lot of very capable league players, but I don't know who their visionary is. Mm-hmm. And if you're gonna start making some things happen, you need to have someone where the game is moving in slow motion. And I don't think that they have that. Yeah. Um, okay, so moving on to the last game 
of the weekend. Um, this is between Orlando Pride and Gotham FC. Orlando was hosting. Uh, a draw. Orlando is still undefeated, though they are on the same. And this is maybe a little bit of some context to their undefeated is that uh, they are now currently on the same point total as Portland because Portland has more wins, mm-hmm. but uh, Orlando did tie Gotham one-to-one. It was a very funny pair of goals. We had Caprice Didasco do a beautiful Schross. Mm-hmm. And then we had Courtney Peterson do a beautiful Schross, <laughs> um, which is funny because the game itself was very competitive. It, mm-hmm. it was a good kind of bruiser between two teams that are carrying themselves very well right now. Um, but yes, the goals themselves, neither of which I think were intended by either the team or the player, but sometimes those yes. are the best ones. Uh, so Gotham's wizardry continues, right? Mm -hmm. Not only on defense, but also a little bit in the attack this time. Um, I've said this in the past. I still think it's true of all the teams. Well, actually, no, that's actually probably unfair. Not of all the teams, but Gotham has to be in the conversation of teams who are really struggling to score though. Um, Yeah. And, and I don't know, they didn't have Carly Lloyd or Midge purse available for this game. I'm sure that was part of it. Uh, But maybe you expect more from Evelyn VN at this point, or you're trying to figure out, you know, how do you get Ethioma Animanu on the field earlier? Mm-hmm. Um, any, any t- particular take on Gotham's attack in particular, Jason? Uh, you know, sometimes I think with Gotham, one of the attacking issues they run into is that it seems to me like every week, maybe more than any team in the league, they are focused on making sure the other team can't do the thing that they want to do. Um, and that comes at a cost. There's a reason why you get coaches who come across sounding dogmatically focused on being the best of themselves. Um, and Gotham is so often focused on how do we make sure that the best version of that other team doesn't show up today? Um, and so it's, it seems like the attack is kind of a second thought. Um, first things first, you know, if they're playing the spirit, it's how do we make sure that when they've got the ball, they can't do anything with it when they're playing Orlando who are more direct, it's like, okay, how do we make sure that Orlando isn't controlling those headers and isn't controlling those second balls um, so that that direct play doesn't amount to anything. Um, And they're good at it. You know, I I don't want to take credit from Gotham. They've been effective at making this, especially the spirit not look like themselves or at least look like the sort of, uh, you know, lesser version of themselves today against Orlando they dealt with the direct play pretty well. They kept, you know, this was a lot of teams kind of rested some national team players. Alex Morgan was there from the start. Um, so they managed to contain Gotham, but it does come with a price a little bit. Um, and it looked like they didn't really know how to find uh, the end today. Um, you know, they didn't get a lot out of Naho uh, starting on the left in this one. Um, it seemed like a lot of the game was about getting the ball to fullbacks and crossing. And that's not really, if you're going to play VN up front and not uh, Carly Lloyd on this, with this group, you don't really want to be putting crosses and you want to be playing her in behind Carly Lloyd. Great at winning headers. Um, If this team is playing that many crosses uh, from fullbacks and she's in the game, I don't think they have as much of a problem, but today it was kind of the wrong attacking approach for the players that were available fitness wise, as far as we know, anyway, um, and so 
they kind of their attack kind of did suffer. They were under some real pressure for a long spell. Um, I did. I, I have to admit that in the past, I, I've if, if asked the player in the NWSL that I thought would start the most games without scoring, my pick was Caprice Didasco. Not because she's bad. I think she's very good, but she's very small. She doesn't get to go into the box on set pieces. Um, she doesn't underlap and go towards goal. It's, it's the same reason shots. why Sarah Gordon hasn't scored yet. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and so um, I did very much enjoy her scoring a goal, uh, the reaction as well. Um, I think she was she's shocked. A, she's yeah. as surprised as anyone yeah. that this yeah. happened. Um, yeah. But yeah, Go- Gotham is going to have to find ways to get goals that are not incredibly unlikely. Just yeah. like they're going to, you know, at the other end, as much as I've said that I think they did a good job defending, we do so have to acknowledge this is another game where there is at least one moment where there's just a loose ball in front of goal, possibly untended net, and the ball somehow doesn't go in. Yeah. Um, and so Gotham's going to have to find a way to get through games without giving those away because eventually right. those are going to start going in. That's just, unless there's like uh, something mystical at play that is beyond my understanding, those eventually go in. I, I will say, though, I am starting. I talked to John Halloran about this two weeks ago, about how Mandy Freeman is so good at those. And again, yeah. she did the exact same thing where she had that last ditch defending and nailed it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe she's just an environment where she thrives, um, yeah. makes it thrilling for us <laughs> to watch um, on Orlando's end. Mm-hmm. You know, they also right. It, they conceded kind of a freak goal. They yeah. scored kind of a freak goal. This was the game that I was like, I'm not sure they have the ideas here actually to, to get any sort of result. They were chasing this game for a while and I wasn't sure exactly what was going to happen. Um, Though obviously Phoebe McLernan and Courtney Peterson have been immense for that team. Mm -hmm. It's more just when they are challenged to progress the ball. I'm not sure it's exactly obvious who that player is. Um, Marta has not had, a super um, elite year so far. Uh, you look at the rest of that midfield, you've got Vigiano, you've got, Do- you know, Doherty Howard, who they're all very capable players, but when you're having to come up with ideas, I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure who their ideas person is. Um, yeah. It, it has, it has looked to me like there were, there have been some games where that was Doherty Howard. Right. Um, but there are also games where she gets left out of this. Like this game, I think it would have been a better idea to start her yeah. instead of either Vigiano or Orion's daughter, whichever, um, because they needed. And, and you know, given that Yonsar has been a pretty effective ball winner, especially when they want to play direct, um, I think she fits that that mindset really well. Um, so maybe I would have played Doherty Howard over Vigiano so that you progress the ball a little more from deeper because – Jan's daughter is the six, but she's not dropping off to start, you know, collect the ball and, and bring that forward. That's not really her game. Um, but there are times where Orlando, other teams kind of come in understanding, like Orlando doesn't really want to progress the ball in this manner right. um, if they don't have to. And so I think a couple of weeks ago um, the, when the spirit played Orlando, they said, yeah, we wanted to let their center backs have the ball. Right. Um, and if they want to hit it long, we'll win that. And, and uh, otherwise we want them to just sort of not know where to go with it other than right. long. Um, and that's kind of a problem that other teams are also, I mean, it's not like a major revelation that the spirit right. said that it's just like, yeah, that's what you would do. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's going to be a problem for Orlando 
that they'll have to address if they start to kind of get away from getting results. They've had, you talked about momentum right now. They've had so much positive momentum um, after such a long spell of just the worst momentum. Um, So getting some wins, getting some results, starting to feel getting, you know, having crowds cheering for them, uh, scoring some goals. Everyone seems to be having a good time. Yeah. But if they can't figure out how to keep that going, they will have to alter what they've done. And in this game, um, I think that's actually a problem they ran into is that they, it took them a long time to alter anything. Um, and they almost let the game get away from them. If, if that Schross from Peterson doesn't go in, I don't think they get a goal. Right. Um, and they waited till the, I think it was the 85th minute when they finally broke out of their shape and said, we're going to throw more attackers in and try and do something. But I think, Earlier in games, generally speaking, you don't want to wait to the 85th minute to switch the thing that isn't working. Right. Um, yes. And they're right. going to have to. Th- this seemed like a game where they were like, "This is what's working. Let's keep doing what's been working." Right. And it might be a game where they look back and say, "We can't be that stuck to this. We have to have the other thing in our pocket uh, when this isn't working." Gotham kind of took the direct style away from us. What else do we have? And right. in this game, the answer for a long time was just trying it harder. Um, which didn't (laughs) really work. Uh, They got away with this one a little bit. I agree. Um, Yes. I think that in many ways, kind of, you know, maybe a little bit like, like Chicago did. Chicago got a result uh, of a game that felt kind of lost and Mm. and so did Orlando. And, and for Orlando, it is probably a mix now for their coaching staff to balance the, we want to keep the good vibes going. We're not trying to introduce doubt, but Mm -hmm. we were exposed a little bit on this one. And perhaps right that Schross doesn't go in and we don't get a result and so then we do get our first loss and you don't want that but you also do need those little reminders to keep pushing you to get better Mm -hmm. um so that was this week's nwsl um schedule i'm trying to think of a better word for that um no huge again tables very tight not a lot of definitive answers about where things are going just yet uh, it takes two wins to really flip all of this on its head. So we'll kind of mm-hmm. see how things are going, but, and I know we're already going a little bit long, but I do want to do this before we close. Um, because Jason, you are someone who has covered the Washington spirit for a very long time. Um, Kumi Yokuyama, mm-hmm. uh, came out as trans this week and was met with a lot of love and a lot of support and a lot of positivity, uh, you know, if, if this is, is news to any listeners, uh, they use they, them pronouns. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's a very good, uh, YouTube conversation with Yuki Nagasato. It is in Japanese. We've seen some translations coming out about it, um, from, from people who speak both languages, which is very helpful. Cause I know for us as, as media who, uh, do not speak Japanese, you never want to misconstrue something just because right. of a language barrier. Um, but I just wanted to give you a second to reflect on the Washington spirit were a team that was accused of being homophobic mm-hmm. for, for a number of years. And what we saw this week from staff uh, and, and players and, and coaching was, was something very different. And I guess I just wanted to give you a chance to, to sort of speak on what this week kind of felt like for you as a person Mm -hmm. who covers the team very closely and in the context of club of the club history, what, what that felt like. Uh, I guess what I would say is even going back to 2019 um, when Steve Baldwin bought in um, there was not just an ownership change, but there was also 
a lot of people coming and going all of a sudden in the club. And this is not anything against the people that were there in the past, but it was just, there were very few people working for the Washington spirit. Um, and I remember being uh, at the, at the draft, I noticed they had more than one person there for media stuff. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And the first home game, I just noticed more people had like spirit polos than I was used to seeing. And it was kind of like, okay, things are different. There's more people working. There's more people that can take care of things that need to be taken care of. Um, and over time, that that initial group that's come in, they've built an internal culture um, that extends from the players. So I, I heard uh, from the team that finding out, you know, this video came out and uh, the team did not know that it was coming out. Um, it was a surprise to them. And figuring out with Kumi across language barriers, um, what pronouns were the pronouns to use going forward, um, that came through uh, Andy Sullivan and Tori Huster. And this is on a game day. Like they're they're at the hotel doing whatever it is players do to get in the right mindset for a game in a few hours. Um, and they put that aside to get into this, um, which kind of says a lot. And it's it's a thing that comes from the internal culture within the players, but it also, it's a staff thing as well. And so, you know, a lot of it is, I would attribute it to people really, really care about getting this sort of thing right um, and are willing to make that effort. So uh, it's, it's in 2021, it's no longer a surprise to me, but in 2019, I don't know that I would have seen this. I would have said, you know, this video came out and based on the past, I would have just expected no one to really have much to do with it. But this is a team that now uh, has pronunciation guides for players' last names. Um, I believe they're working on a pronoun guide for the team going forward. I don't, I don't think that's done. It's being worked on. Um, and these are all these little things that are happening because one, the front office just has enough people working in it where people don't have four people's jobs on their plate. Um, and so it isn't just, I have to do only the essentials for everything because I'm so overloaded. Um, but two, it is just, uh, there's been a change in mindset from the ownership and the ownership is now, I don't know, 50 something people. Um, the ownership group by itself is gigantic. Um, but internally, uh, you see a consistency in terms of not just wanting to be a successful organization at soccer, but also things like wanting to uh, connect with the community. Um, I think every every new ownership interview that I have heard any part of or been a part of, the idea of connecting to D.C., not just being a team that some residents in D.C. are willing to spend money on, but actually connecting in the city um, with, with people, regular people, people that maybe can't even afford to come to games. Um, I want to say earlier this week, uh, Jordan DiBiase, uh, ended up bringing several players, but it was kind of an initiative that she had on her own to reach out to one of the area schools and do basically like a soccer clinic for kids inside DC. Um, it's a kind of thing that the team wasn't equipped to put on very often in the past, but also maybe players didn't feel like if they did that, is anyone going to back them up or am I just showing up with a bag of balls on my own? Um, and there are players that are doing things like that within the club as well. I think Ashley Hatch has a, um, uh, a boots for kids program where essentially 
the players give their used shoes that are not ruined but are still are you know for a professional or like well i can't really wear these anymore you know nike sent me new ones or whatever um they package them up and uh give them out to kids i you know it can be tough because kids generally might have a hard time fitting into adult shoes but maybe these are high school players um in dc that maybe can't afford the shoes themselves and so they get you know game worn professional shoes um all of these things it took some time um and and the culture has changed and it's still probably in the process of changing it's not always exactly perfect um but the effort is there uh and i think more than anything that has made a big difference and it's made my life easier um (laughs) covering covering games and not being like you know how how is this going to get taken care of because there's i know there's literally no one that can handle it um but it's also it's this is a perfect example of how it's making players lives better too so Um, it is, it is a massive shift. It, it, it's only been, you know, I, I met Richie Burke, uh, at the 2019 draft. I had never, uh, met him before. Um, and that was the first time any interaction with anyone from the new guard, so to speak, um, the new communications people, the new, uh, ownership, anything like that. Um, and it's only 2021, but in my mind, it feels so long ago because so much has changed. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's a good that's a good contextualizing of it, because um, I think that it it's fair to to want things, even just in terms of, of response from teams and from the league to happen very quickly as well. It should, because this is very mm-hmm. important to get right. Um, and sometimes we see whether it's on a league level or a team level, it's truly just understaffing that stops mm-hmm. it from happening. Um I will say that from my perspective, like I said, Washington was in Chicago uh, that night and I got to speak to Spirit Team Com. Shout out to Jordan Small, who is very mm-hmm. good at her job. Um, and shout out to the Spirit, because this only happens as quickly as it happens, getting getting the correct pronouns, um, because they have comms travel. Yes. And many teams still do not. And so mm-hmm. a lot of teams are pretty much completely incommunicado when they are on the road. And right. it's a problem. It's, it's, it's not great. So, so I think that the spirit did a nice job. There are still, there's still a ways to go. Kumi even talked about it in that video about how they felt like that for, they still feel actually probably that them living their full complete self uh, is not going to coincide with their soccer career because mm-hmm. of the rules of the sport. And so this is still a conversation that we need to keep having, but yeah, I just wanted to, wanted to talk about that. Cause I do think that sure. was an important thing that happened this week. Um, so <laughs> We've gone so long. I'm just going to let this go. I'm going to say this was this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. Thank you so much, Jason, uh, for giving us all your hot takes. Uh, shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. Shout out to Blue Wire podcast who distribute this podcast. We are so grateful to them as well. And we will see you all next week with another slate of NWSL games and a finalized U.S. Women's National Team Olympic roster. So lots to talk about next time. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>